This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. It's been a business maxim for years. Shareholder value trumps all. But it's not hard to see that by overrating shareholder value, management could focus too much on short-term stock price measures, given that their often outsized executive compensation is fueled by stock options, thereby hurting the business over the long run. In this discussion about his new book, Business Persons, A Legal Theory of the Firm, Eric W. Ortz, a Wharton professor of legal studies and business ethics, says there are better measures of success than shareholder value. We're speaking today with Eric Ortz, a professor of legal studies and business ethics at Wharton, about his new book released in September here, uh, titled Business Persons, A Legal Theory of the Firm. Thanks for joining us today, Eric. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. All right. Uh, we move on to executive compensation. Uh, you take issue with the idea that shareholders and executives are too often viewed as if they're the only entities in the corporation that matter. Mm-hmm. No one else is really important to the process. And that that's... Uh, may be reinforced by this concept of shareholder value, and then the executives are the ones who create the shareholder value, and it's just this, you know, the, these two things that, that are the only things that matter. Would you discuss why you think that's a limited view? Yeah, I think if you uh, start from the view of how businesses are constructed from a legal vantage point, and that's the main argument of the book, uh, there's a bottom-up process by which people come together into uh, teams, Uh, that represent capital that's coming into a company, labor. Uh, There's organization governing expertise that are are management. Uh, And it's a very complex process if you look at this historically and legally over time. And and business firms themselves, and this is why we have uh, business schools that study this and, and, and try to teach managers the complexities that are involved in this, are actually very intricate uh, organizations. You can, you can have very small startups that are only one person, but very quickly in most businesses you get economies of scale and economies of scope that mean you have very large enterprises that are putting together lots of moving parts. And those moving parts are reduced in economic theories that say shareholders are the only group that matter. There's advantages to looking at share price, and I'm not, looking, I'm not saying that shareholders don't matter. Shareholders and corporations vote, and they ultimately have authority over who uh, is voted onto the corporate board, and that means uh, authority to determine who the CEO is. But in most circumstances, shareholders aren't exercising that role, and I think that the shareholder uh, value arguments that managers only should be looking to shareholder value have gotten in us into trouble. I'll give you one example uh, that I think is in the news right now, and that's all the, 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 the series of corporate frauds that we continue to have, of accounting frauds and other kinds of frauds, insider trading scandals, et cetera. But the corporate fraud issue, especially with respect to some accounting issues, I think partly has to do with incentives that are created by asking managers to only manage to short-term shareholder value. Uh, The theory is, and it works well if you're just doing equations in an article and saying this should work, the theory is that managers should manage to shareholder value. If shareholder value increases, then everybody will be better off. And if shareholder value increases, then managers should be uh, compensated more. 
In practice, though, what happens sometimes is that when you are using short-term options or other mechanisms to pay managers only in terms of their share price performance, you create perverse incentives for them to commit fraud. And I think this is something that people did not think about when they adopted economic theories. And this uh, basically in the economic jargon is called principal agent theory. Principal agent theory was, uh, was invented and advocated beginning about 20, 30 years ago. That's now seized the day with respect to executive compensation debates where you basically see managers as the agents uh, of, of shareholders and that that's the only relationship that matters. And what I argue in the book is that there are a number of other, uh, uh, there are a number of other considerations that matter. Employees matter and how they're motivated and that really is not taken into account in a simple principal agent theory. The other group that matters is uh, other uh, creditors, uh, bondholders, and, and other capital providers of the enterprise. The role of retained earnings in a firm is, is really underappreciated in the uh, principal agent models. And so my main argument is that these economic models that have driven this idea that, sh that managers should only manage to share price, particularly in the short term, are wrong. They're the, they're the product of economic theories that I think at this point have been, have, have shown, been shown to be wrong. And one of the arguments in my book is to, is to say, look, here is another theory, namely traditional legal understandings of how, uh, firms, are, how, how firms are created and how they're uh, formed and run over time that are different than the, these standard economic theories. So you have, um, with this, uh, the, the idea of shareholder value being central and prominent and, and almost overriding, uh, you then have executives whose compensation is based on shareholder value, i.e. the stock price. And so naturally, uh, they're incented to make sure that stock price is as high as possible, which generally is a good thing. But in practice, as you say, um, there's this critique that they're managing for the short term because most of their compensation is based on stock options directly related to the share price. So they want that next quarter or certainly the next year uh, financial results to maximize the stock price, which could undermine the long-term soundness of the firm. If they dump all the assets and resources into trying to make that go up short-term, they miss opportunities such, and, and, and there's companies that, that do it the other way, like Amazon, that invest for the long-term. They'll take losses in certain areas in the short-term in order to invest and guarantee that they succeed in the long-term. So. This is another part of it, this economic argument, isn't it? In addition to the fact that you're saying it can, it can lead to fraud or... Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. And in some ways, that's even more important. So one problem you have is that you might increase fraud, you increase the dysfunctionality of the system. And I think that most ideas of business is that you want to have long-term sustainable growth that is going to raise everyone's boats, create more wealth, uh, help to uh, make everybody better off. And so if you have systems in place, and part of, these, part of this uh, is about economic theories that we're adopting, and part of it is about law listening to the economic theories and following those economic theories, we're going to be in some uh, trouble. And I think you identify uh, a very big issue, and that is how do you, what is the purpose of an enterprise, and how do you provide the right incentives both legally and economically for long-term economic growth? One example, you mentioned Amazon, one example I use in my book is Google. And so Google specifically, when it went public, opted out of this traditional pattern of being governed only by shareholders. 
And you've had some law in Delaware, and I think it's starting to change, where Delaware had a famous case that was decided uh, in the 1980s called Revlon, where they said, in some circumstances, we're going to demand that you get the highest price for the company if you're selling the company or if you're, a, if you're in a sales situation. There's some complexities about that. But the argument here is, well, why would we expect that to be the only goal for shareholders? Why would we only want to take one uh, share price right now and say that is the intrinsic value of the company? There could be all kinds of reasons that share price is either up or down. And to put so, many, uh, to, to put so much weight on the artifact of share price, I think, has been a mistake over time. I think you see Google, uh, Google has been a successful company in bucking that trend, where they basically said, no, we're going to basically uh, hold control in a relatively smaller group. Another example, historically, that seems to be pretty successful this way is Ford Motor Company has done the same thing. Uh, so that, that indicates that maybe this idea that only shareholder value in a broadly held market is not the only model for a company, and that for long-term sustainable growth, we have to have a more complex understanding of uh, incentives in enterprises and providing for lots of different experiments uh, for how businesses should work, rather than, rather than I think what uh, some economists have tried to argue is to put a template of, of an economic theory on the world and say everybody has to, has to manage to this shareholder maximizing model or something of that kind. And you have a lot of these other examples of, out there where companies are not behaving that way and they're actually doing better than companies that are, uh, that are being trained to just look at short-term returns. So when people talk about maximizing shareholder value, you'll often hear justifying that idea, uh, which tends to mean in the short term, as you point out. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll, you'll sometimes hear that they have a you know, legal term, fiduciary responsibility to do so. But you seem to be arguing that there's other responsibilities. And in fact, you could be irresponsible uh, in a way by not investing long term, by giving out too many dividends in the short term, you then don't have money and retained earnings to invest for that next new product that's going to give, you know, investing for the long term kind of a thing. Yeah, I think in fact there's been a lot of misinformation sent out. Sometimes I think I'm afraid in business schools, but it also sometimes happens in law schools of what the fiduciary duty of directors actually is in the United States. In fact, the business judgment rule has uh, allowed a lot of discretion that directors have in the United States. And for many businesses, there is a lot of discretion that they have. Now, we have had some changes that have moved us toward a shareholder maximization uh, model. And the Revlon case I mentioned is one of those cases. And there have been some Delaware law cases that go in that direction. There also have been Delaware cases and other, uh, other uh, legal developments that have said, wait, uh, companies don't have to manage in that way. Uh, one of the interesting experiments that I also talk about in the book is something called hybrid, what I call hybrid social enterprises. Uh, Delaware, uh, just this summer, enacted a benefit corporation statute which explicitly says you can have two different objectives. One is making money, but another is uh, an environmental objective, let's say, or some specified social objective of trying to alleviate uh, sanitation in a particular uh, country or sanitation problems in a particular country. And what, what those experiments show is that, and, and one of the main arguments that I give in the book, is that purposes of businesses are actually quite diverse. Uh, you can have a business and it can be just maximizing shareholder value. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have businesses that are in that uh, organized in that way. But it might be that there are lots of other kinds of models, and I think there are lots of other kind of models, not only in the United States but in the world, of different kind of companies that are looking at different kinds of objectives that they're trying to uh, follow. 
And I think we're in a better uh, circumstance if we allow a diversity of different companies like that. And one of the arguments in the book is this, is that the, one of the virtues of uh, modern Western societies is that we have this framework of law that allows individuals from the bottom up to be entrepreneurs, to come together, to come up with new ideas, to come up with new ways of structuring enterprises that are either going to work or they don't work, and we allow general markets of supply demand to determine that. But we don't mandate some particular way in which every business has to be managed. And I think that that's a, a good thing and one that I hope to, uh, uh, hope to uh, encourage in writing this book. Just a final thing, just to get back to shareholder value for a moment. Uh, th it was interesting to me, the point you make, which is that, uh, and maybe surprising to some, which is that shareholders, although they have an equity stake, are not the main providers of financing for companies. And that, yeah. that, that might be one reason that people would think they should have such prominence. There might be a conception that they are the, the primary financiers of the co corporation, but in fact, you're saying that that's not the case. Uh, on average in general. Yeah, I think that in many, I think the finance literature has now become pretty clear that the main area in which companies get money in which they, uh, property uh, to the firm, from which they decide to allocate new capital to new projects is retained earnings. Uh, Colin Mayer at Oxford was one of the main uh, uh, pro proponents and, and authors of empirical research that shows that this is true not only in the United States but in many uh, other countries. And so what that basically shows is that the shareholder value idea of that capital comes from the shareholders, therefore you owe uh, an exclusive duty only to the shareholders is wrong. Uh, it's also true that you get a lot of capital provided to companies through credit and debt uh, financing. And so usually those are uh, interpreted as contractual relationships, and they are contractual relationships. But it's also true that at the edges, uh, there are duties that can sometimes be owed to those capital providers as well. So that's an example of how the property relationships within firms, and I go into this in a lot more detail in the book, are actually a lot more complicated and ownership is much more fragmented than this simplistic idea of managers and shareholders uh, gives you. And there's, a, there's this idea, whenever you have a simple way of describing something, sometimes people grab onto that and they think that's a hammer that you should then uh, hammer into any problem that comes up. You use that principal agent model of shareholder managers and you an that's the answer. And I, and I think that's fundamentally wrong. Uh, it's not that I'm saying shareholders are not important. They're primary, as I said, they elect directors. There's a important corporate role that shareholders play. But the idea that that's all there is, and that we should only, that managers should only think about that to the exclusion of strategic uh, considerations of research and development, how you're motivating your employees, uh, how you're relating to different governments that you're dealing with, all those other kinds of issues, uh, I think really uh, really underplays the, the the important role that managers have, uh, and it and it subverts and it, it makes the idea of the task a little bit too easy. So. Um, uh, so I think that's my answer there, that, that we do care. Uh, shareholder value matters. It's one measure of how firms are doing, uh, how they're doing well or not doing well. But it's not the only measure, and we really have to think about these broader uh, concerns. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.